Welcome to our 39th Set the Month in Motion monthly podcast and forum produced in partnership with the City of Fremantle's Building Business Capacity Program. My name is Janesha Quinlan and I'm the CEO here at the Fremantle Chamber of Commerce. I would like to start today by acknowledging this special country from which we are live streaming and the traditional owners of this Bujur on which we gather, the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation, and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge their ongoing connection to both this land and the seas and waters that surround us. Today we head into one of my favourite moments of our podcast series, at getting inside the heads and minds of a few of our annual Fremantle Business Awards Winners Circle. The journey to business success is different, a different experience for each business owner and in some pathways easier than others. This year's Winner's Circle seemed to reflect an endurance, a consistency, and in many cases, family-owned businesses as they hit the stage. Today, we will explore three very different business leaders and their view of their journey so far. One of our panel joins us again this year, um, who also joined us in 2020 to share his thoughts then. And one thing that really struck me was when Jay said the key to business success is just to know your customer's script. After two years of considerable growth and change, we'll be testing this theory with Jay today and following up on some very simple premises. I thought one of them that was shared by Dave Thomas, founder of Wendy's, um, was very relevant when he said, what do you need to run a business? Three simple things. You need to know your product better than anyone else. You need to know your customer and you need to have a burning desire to succeed. And someone that has not only a burning ambition to succeed, but to really truly make a difference in the world while she does it. Chris Unker from Chris's Kitchen, winner of Fremantle Market sponsored Merit Certificate for Best Local Product in this year's awards. In 2013, Chris started experimenting predominantly with plant-based foods in her home kitchen to escape the monotony of her desk job. She wrote a blog about her adventures in the food world and was surprised to get an enthusiastic audience who wanted to buy her treats. Chris sold her first Bliss Balls in 2014 and today she caters to around 150 cafes and restaurants around Western Australia, operates her own deli in Perth, published a cookbook available worldwide called Nourishing Noodles and has plans to expand so she can provide nutritious food to more people Australia-wide. I was just talking to Chris earlier and saying with a child with a milk allergy, she truly changed our lives and I'm sure she uh, changed many others as well. Um, she proudly explains a set of values that are at the heart of Chris's kitchen with the economy acronym SEEDS. And those, that acronym stands for Supportive and Inclusive Teen Environment that is built on empathy, care and fairness, which is exciting and fun with a great commitment to delicious, innovative, high quality products that help to fund a social mission to create a sustainable impact. Chris, the world and the community in which we live are so very important to you um, and you try as much as possible to be a truly active part of that. Can you talk us through how these values and missions drive your business success? Um, thank you so much for the kind words. Um, and just for everything that the Chamber does for small businesses, I think it's just so valuable. Um, I always crack a joke that I run the business as a social enterprise because it's just what makes me happy um, and I want to be happy in life. So I basically run it for selfish reasons because I want to be happy. <laughs> um, I'm sure it's a lot of hard work in that joy and happiness <laughs> as well. Um, but on a serious note, one of the defining books that I really um, 
loved, which I read oh, more than 10 years ago, um, is called Start With Why. And it's like a tiny little booklet. And basically at the core of everything that I do is why. Like why start a business? Why run it as a social enterprise? Um, it's who I am. Um, it's very, yeah, in, in a nutshell, it's who I am. So I chose to run the business as a social enterprise to help people with, to employ people with disability. Um, we employ people, with, uh, survivors of domestic violence, people at risk of homelessness. We've, I've embedded this so deep into the core of the business and how we run it that I literally would not be able to do business any other way um, the, today. And basically we measure success in terms of have we helped people this year? Have we helped more people than last year? And if the answer is yes, that means two things. We achieved our social mission, and also it means that we've grown financially as well because you can't, as a small business, you can't employ people if you don't have work to give them. Mm. So to employ, for example, 10 people as opposed to six last year means that our distribution is stronger, then we are manufacturing more products, and that feeds back into the social mission. We yes. employ more people. We provide more training opportunities. Yeah. That's truly amazing. Um, and I think the idea to have embedded that so strongly from the very outset in terms of growth must have been incredibly challenging as a way because not only are you trying to grow and grow rapidly as you did, but you're also having to develop training procedures and other things I imagine over and above what an other business yeah. maybe needs to It has to. been challenging. Um, it, as everyone knows, when you run a business, you're always going to have problems and tiny little fires to put out every day. And you're always, always going to have staff problems. Yeah. And with employing people the way I choose to employ, I just choose a different set of problems. Yes. So the problems that um, I, cho I chose to deal with are or someone doesn't speak English well enough, let's organize English lessons, or someone's never had a bank account before, let's organize and explain to them what that means. Or someone does not have, they live in crisis accommodation, or they might not have money for food, let's organize food stamps, let's, or, or, let's work with organizations that provide accommodation. So it's just a different set of problems, which honestly, and I go back to my cracking joke, um, they once we do help our staff with solving these little problems that well not so little that they have mm -hmm. in their lives it just makes me feel so so happy and so accomplished that i just want to do more so <laughs> it's truly amazing chris and i also imagine you must build incredible loyalty amongst your team for being at so actively involved in their lives as well i would like to throw a little bit something that goes against the grain a lot of businesses say that customers are the most important thing for their business to me personally and this might i'm not quite sure if it's going to upset some customers but employees are the most important to me so we put our employees front and center of everything that we do every decision that we make every day and i discovered that by doing that then they put customers first so they exercise care and diligence and they go over and above when they make all of the products and as I said to my partner and um, to them the very next day after the awards, that award is credit to them, not to me, because it's they are the ones who make the products every day, the products that our customers enjoy. So if our customers love our product, 
it's credit to them. It reminds me of that. Um, I can't even remember what the, the film title is now, but that amazing Mexican novel with a, all the love and whatever emotion people are feeling goes into the food. And I think maybe there's a whole lot of love that goes into yeah. those products. And a bit of crack, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Jay, um, moving down. Um, just to do some introductions down our panel. And I'm really interested in your thoughts on that idea of, of both customers and staff, because you've obviously had an incredible growth journey, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and working in a family business, I imagine there's a whole lot of overlap with some of the things that Chris has said. Um, for those that don't know um, Jay, as I mentioned in my introduction, um, he mentioned at the last podcast that in the old days of working in a family pharmacy before they took on Old Bridge Cellars, the key to understanding your business and the overlap was just knowing your customer's script. And I think certainly any of us that have ever walked into Oldbridge feel like we're known um, for our script in many ways. Um, so Oldbridge were back on the stage for the second time in two years at this year's awards. They won the People's Choice Award in 2020. And this year they won the Fremantle Ports Award for overall business of the year with one of the highest scores we've ever seen from the judges. It was a really impressive submission, Jay. Um, Jay is one of the family pro proprietors of Oldbridge Cellars, which um, for those who don't know, is an independent family-owned liquor store in North Fremantle and a local institution. Oldbridge stocks a wide range of amazing wines, craft beer and artisan spirits with a focus on local produ producers and small batch winemaking. But it's more than that. I think Oldbridge speak local, they act local and they truly know how to build a community around a common love of product. Um, they've recently expanded to a new store at the other end of another old bridge down at Canning Bridge, joined the uh, south of the riverside, Jay, yeah. um, to share all of their thing, all of their love of um, things local down that neck of the woods. Jay, as you've grown, opened the new store, has it got harder to know each customer's script? Uh, yeah, thank you for having me, Denisha. It's great to be back here and looking very professionally in the new new layout. <laughs> in our new podcast suite, <laughs> yes. Um, I suppose, yes, it has been a challenge. When we took over, so my dad and I bought the business 10 years ago um, in January this year, and I was sort of the person on the floor. I was the one there all the time that could, you know, we were a small business, I was a full-time, we had a few core little part-time staff, and that was an easy part, and I would that was my passion. As we grew, as the turnover grew, as we've expanded to a different site, and not only learnt, you can't be there all the time, but you can't be in two places at once. Yeah. So that comes back to what you were saying, Chris, is that your staff, you have to trust your staff to be representing you, um, your product knowledge, your standards of customer service, but also your culture. Um, so that was the hardest thing. I, I, I always have the, the thing that managing a business is the easy part. Managing the people is hard. And encouraging my management style with my team is to encourage them to make the shot, not threaten them to drop them if they miss. So trying to encourage and bring people up is the most important part. Then they want to be part of your business, stay around. Um, liquor runs off sort of those uni students part-time. It's, it's something you do until you get your grown-up job, we sort of say. But we've seen a lot of people either stay on with us or um, go into liquor as a career, applying their skills from uni um, because they get the passion, the bug. And um, we want people to to know more about business and about liquor. We're, while with it, we teach them figures, we teach them GP, you know, we try bring them on the journey. So when they leave our business, they don't just drink better booze, but they know more about business. Um, the problem is yeah. you teach us all to drink better booze and then we can't go back, <laughs> You Jay. can't go back, I know. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I suppose the other thing in, in terms of your script is that yeah. the liquor industry has changed so much in 10 years. It used to be 
the big wholesalers sort of and the big wineries dominating and the big breweries dominating the industry. We wanted to change what we champion into smaller, smaller companies, the smaller wineries, the more boutique product. And they've grown in leaps and bounds. So there's so many more suppliers, so many more wineries, so many more people. And um, we have to learn what, what would be more suitable to you in your script. Mm -hmm. So um, that's been a challenge. So product knowledge um, and keeping the team up to date, tasting and training has been a huge challenge as well. I can imagine. And even if we just take craft beer, for example, you know, there's been an absolute implosion, both of craft beer and natural wine. So I imagine, yeah, not only knowing your customer's script, but having to constantly learn new products must be such a key part of how you're training your staff. Yeah. So a big challenge in my in my shop is I have to try everything, Denisha. So it's really <laughs> terrible. <laughs> so everything is quality controlled. No, um, we look people in the eye and we go, because yeah, people come, it's amazing. Oh, what's this taste like? What's this taste like? What's this taste like? We go, this, this, this. Like, have you tried all this? Yes, we have. It's all vetted. It's all chosen to be in the stores. So, and opening that second site, we had to transpose a certain core range, but um, we also chose to tailor that range to the local community as well. So we had that 80-20 rule where we have 80% core product range between the shops yeah. and 20 catered towards the local community because we found that the Como shop, what people wanted was different to North Fremantle. And that was quite amazing Isn't to see, actually. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess also building a hot, you know, in many ways, when you bought the shop in North Fremantle, the community was quite well established. They had certain expectations, mm. whereas the Canning Bridge store is a whole new store that had no expectations in many yeah. ways, didn't it? How have you gone about building that community? So it's been, so Como has been open 15 months now and it was, we went slowly, slowly steps. So in businesses that dad and I've had in the past, we've changed, pushed our agenda too quickly onto the community. So we had to make sure we didn't change anything too quickly, but we had to put in our little touches. We're very good at putting in, you know, the little flowers and the cards and the ice creams and the little things that make Old Bridge, Old Bridge. But making sure you don't get rid of, you know, Mrs. Smith's cask of rosé that she used to buy from that <laughs> shop all the time. The the champ, that style of Jant's rosé that, that guy wanted to buy, we had to make sure we kept that, learn why they drank it, if there was something better on the market yeah. that they could. So small steps, respectful steps in that regard. But we do get people coming in going, oh, thank you for coming to the industry. Thank you for coming around the corner. I told all my friends so that same community vibe, which is hard to build in, you know, in the end of the day, we're sort of government licensed drug dealers, if, if, if yeah. it were. It has, to be, it has to be done with respect and care to the community yeah, as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jay. We'll come back to so many of those, um, I think, themes that fit across the board. Um, we're next on our panel is someone, I guess, who leads a very different style of business um, and guides projects in a large defence and communications company and technology company that's grown from a few people 40 years ago based here in our port city to an international leader in defence technology. And still, thankfully, despite uh, this incredibly strong global outlook um, and size, are still based here in our port city. And we're so pleased to still have you here. L3 Harris was named as winner of the Excellence in Defence and Marine Projects um, by TAM, sponsored by TAMS Group this year. Dean Powell is currently Legal and Contracts Director of L3 Harris, a construction and procurement lawyer by trade. Um, Dean has large international law, has large international law firm and in-house consul experience within um, large ASX 50 mining company, as well as being a full-time naval officer in the Royal Australian Navy for over 23 years. He holds a current legal practising certificate in Western Australia and continues to serve um, both the Navy and the Australian Defence Force in a reservist capacity as a member of the Navy Reserve Legal Panel. 
You've also a certified logistic. And you're really testing me without copy this morning. Logistician. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, Previously a Chartered Fellow of the Chartered Institute of Logistics and Transport with over 20 years experience in leading diverse teams in supply chain, commercial, contract management and operational logistics roles. Incredibly complex and demanding environments, dealing with so many people, I imagine, Dean, as we've discussed earlier, um, both within Australia and overseas. Dean, obviously, incredibly um, strong commercial background um, and experience in leading diverse teams across supply chain, commercial contracts, operational logistics, um, such complex environments as well that you work in. Um, I guess back to Chris's initial starting comments, how important is managing people and the systems to achieve growth and success? And how do you personally get the most out of these processes in practical terms? Oh, thanks, Denisha. And it's fantastic hearing Chris and Jay's story this morning. Again, I, I heard a little bit during the awards night, but it's, it's great to be here this morning. So thanks for having me. I, I think similar to to, um, to, to Chris and Jay, it, it, people, people are the most important part of the business for us. Uh, um, obviously, the customer is important, but our, our customer is um, probably not a, a local customer. We've got a customer that's on they the East Coast. They have a top secret script, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've got customers on the East Coast. We've got customers on the North Coast. We've got customers in Saudi Arabia. And so, so yeah, our people are important. Um, what's what's become more important in the last few years as we've grown really quickly, similar to, to Chris and Jay, is that communication is absolute mm. paramount. Um, internal communications. Um, communicating with your people has become incredibly hard. Um, Everyone's got their own challenges in their personal lives, with their own challenges with our customers, with the technology keeping up. Yeah. Um, but really I- internal communications for me has been the big challenge and celebrating those small successes. I think, you know, we're, we're very busy to, you know, what's the next thing? What's the next uh, goal, goal to meet? What's the next customer requirement? But take a bit of time to celebrate what you've done. Mm. Um, I, I like to call it the Kool-Aid. You know, I think our people sometimes need to just just stop and drink the Kool-Aid for, for a minute. You've done a great job. You, you've, you've, you've done some fantastic stuff. And they'll get down, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get down like, oh, my God, this, this has gone wrong, the bushfires that, that um, the other panellists have talked about. But, yeah, celebrate those successes. What, what good have you done? And that's been a real challenge, um, I think, in our business is saying to people, hey, listen, this is, this is, this is what you've, you've achieved. Mm. Um, as for challenging environments, I think every environment is challenging in its own way. Um, and I think a, as a leader, um, what I've learnt of late is we've all got our own vulnerabilities. I think um, every leader can't stand out there every every minute of the day and say, right, we're off, we're, we're going to the, the next goal. I think it, it's okay to say sometimes, hey, listen, I'm not feeling it today. You say to your team, I'm, I'm not, not really with it today. Can, can, you, can you do this for me? Um, I think just uh, your people knowing that you've got your own vulnerabilities and, and are not bulletproof is sometimes good for teamwork, good, good for morale, and also good for developing the, the skills of the people underneath you. So I, I, that authenticity is something that is not easy to learn, and I've certainly not found, find it found it easy to learn but I think it it does have its own payoff in terms of okay where are we yeah I'm the captain of the team but I'm I'm also here to serve you Uh, Mm. um and yeah I'm not having a great day so what what, what can what can you step up to today so 
Yeah, I, I think, think that applies just as much to not just how you're feeling the day, but also I think particularly for young leaders or when people are starting businesses for the first time, there's an expectation that we have to be good at everything and that we have to be able to make decisions in areas that maybe are unfamiliar or deal with team situations that are unfamiliar. And I think I was only talking to a colleague yesterday um, evening and I was saying it's amazing how I think the more we progress in different businesses or the more we mature into leadership roles, you realise that you can't be good at everything. Absolutely. And that your teams will bring a specific set of aspects or ability that maybe just complement what you do. So you almost yeah. have to be on the lookout for those gaps of what am I missing and who's someone yeah. that can Yeah, and you don't have all the that. answers. Yeah. I mean, certainly in our business, you know, you hear all the great terms like, you know, agile contracting and agile project management. Agile in our world means... I don't know, I, I kind of know the outcome I want, but I don't know the environment I'm going to need it in. And I kind of know the technology out there, but, you know, what can you do for mm. us? So there's there's a big drive in our business to, to be a little bit more agile, not have all the answers, mm. but work with the customer to get there. Um, and and team, team with your customer. I think gone are the days where we'll have a, 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 a large government customers say, this is what I want and this is yeah. when I want it, they'll say, what do you have? Because mm. technology is moving so fast. Um, the skills of our people are moving so fast. And I, I think that's, that's, that's the match as well. The, 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 there's some of these young, young engineers and, and coming through the system at the moment have got some amazing skills mm. and let them create. How do you let them create? That, and that's the challenge. And how do you, uh, one of the things, Dean, that strikes me in your organisation, because you are such forward thinkers and so at the cutting edge of technology, you know, even doing things that people thought five years ago were impossible. You know, you guys are out there creating it and doing it, particularly from a communications and technology mm. point of view. How do you work with teams that are in such new and innovative spaces to know their products or what they're creating is actually going to work when you often don't have, you know, you've got a client going, I just need this problem solved. They're going, I've got the idea. How yeah. do you work with an environment internally where that is constantly evolving and changing? I think it's trying to create a culture where failure is okay, mm. um, which is really difficult. And I heard the other panellists say, you know, it's like it's okay to try it and fail. Um, and, yeah, as this iterative approach to, to providing a solution, um, there are going to be failures along the way. And, yeah, yeah it is okay to fail. Um, but have another glass of Kool-Aid. We're doing great. <laughs> let's get back on the, on the let's Didn't get back on the horse work. and they can't hear let's us keep down going. The bottom of the yeah. 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 It's creating that, that, that environment. Obviously, you know, there's, it's their own fiscal constraints to, to research and development dollars and the like. And there's, there's some, there's some, you know, left and right of art that you've got to work within, but yeah, it's creating an environment where, yeah, as long as you're edging forward, that's that's what where we need to go. Because yeah, the, the environment is uncertain. Mm. Our customer in our world, in in defence and security and aerospace, the the world is uncertain to them. Um, we got a lot of great technology here in Fremantle that we're developing, and and out of the US, our parent company. But yeah, how how do we match how how do we how do we match that to to what what, our, what the outcomes the customer wants? So it's more outcomes based rather than requirements based. I think. And I'm interested, Chris, in your perspectives just around that product. I mean, obviously very different. You're not sending people down to the deep blue sea and putting communication <laughs> back up again. But, you know, you, you've got a very strong and loyal customer following with consistent product. Do you stick with the try and test it or are you constantly thinking up new products that you may bring to market at different points in time? 
Oh, it's it's food. You can't stick to the same. I think similar <laughs> to Jay, we have a core um, we have a core list of products that we cannot discontinue. <laughs> there would be mutiny, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we constantly try to innovate and create new flavors. Um, when it comes to food, people do want to try new things. Not too often. They still want their favorites, but every now and then they do want to try. What do you mean orange blossom water? What even is that? Yeah. So you do have to constantly, and I'll go back to what has been said already. We also promote a culture where failure is okay, mistakes are okay. Mm. So we do, um, I do encourage uh, my team because they all come from such different backgrounds mm. and literally countries and continents. They are aware of flavors and flavor combinations and ingredient pairings that don't even cross my mind so i do encourage them have a play experiment just make something for everyone to enjoy for lunch yeah yeah and find something different and yeah i hadn't thought about that that one of the assets of having such a diverse workforce in your industry is that they do bring different flavors and different oh, ideas definitely and i tell them all the time your curry puffs are better than mine mm. <laughs> your baked biscuits are better than mine yes yeah, yeah that's yeah. it absolutely um and on products jay we talked a little bit before you know one of the things that sets old bridge apart is that you are in a market that traditionally has been fairly consistent product wise um You've tried and tested a whole lot of new things in terms of bringing people into the store. Can you talk us through that journey a bit, even the, the local produce that you use to support, to differentiate yourselves in terms of product? Yeah, sorry, I've just been dying quietly. Yeah, I know. Not so quietly. Yeah. Well, trying to pretend um, that you're all good. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the mission statement we built the business around was that it's not alcohol in a bottle, it's art in a glass. So we had to then delve deeper into that and go, what does that mean? And Wine and beer, it is actually products that come from the earth. You know, it's grown in a season. People come in and not. There's sort of the, there's the consumer that the, the same pro the wineries that make the product the same time of year. Your Pepper Jack, your Verve Clicquot. People expect that to taste the same every single time they get it by a bottle. So that is one side of liquor, and and those those products uh, use 113 different types of chemicals and manipulation they made in the lab to create that. So. Their job is to change vintage at, to reflect the same flavour. Where we sort of support people that go the other way. <clears throat> they want to reflect the vintage and the terroir and the sense of place onto the product. So that was the first thing that we liked supporting. And the it's, is it the product made by a real person that comes from a real place? So that's the other thing. There's a lot of, in the chains, those fake brands that they just create in the boardroom. Um, to fit a market, we talk about just product for markets, they just create that. We need an $8 Sab Blanc, we'll just put a $4 Sab Blanc at $8 and call it whatever different name. So yeah, that's not ethical in our yeah. view either. So supporting those smaller people and the one-stop shop mentality, which I know, you know, I think is part that puts us aside is, you know, we sort of, the cheese, the ice creams, the cards, the presents, um, you know, people coming in for a champagne for a gift. Do they want gift wrapping the card, the little extra thing so i suppose that was also something we added to what we think we added to, to retail liquor yeah. that's been for the better of the the industry absolutely and those relationships then with other producers and the local products that you bring in also help to build that um one of the things that also struck me this year um we were talking a bit about s some different trends and some of the business awards winners over the last little while um externally after the awards night and we sort of noticed that in sort of 2020, Jay, it was all about the little guy in many ways. You know, it was businesses that were out doing interesting things, sort of on the fringes, were really well rewarded. And then 
um, 2021 seemed to very much be around creative and really sort of innovative, different sorts of businesses and quite a strong retail focus. And this year we really noticed a trend in endurance, family-owned businesses, businesses that had really grown through that. Um, maintaining internal and external relationships over a long period of time isn't easy, um, both from a staff and customer point of view. Maybe I'll start, Dean, 40 years or so. Um, you know, what are some of the things you've I've noticed? I've been there 40 years, I know you haven't. I know. But, I mean, obviously <laughs> you've come into a business that has sort of steadily grown and it strikes me, you know, even your managing director, a, a steady, enduring type of Absolutely. people. Um, how do you maintain that consistency? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Deja. I think, you know, I came into the business, you know, close to four years ago um, from, from a large mining company up the road and what struck me was that, yeah, there's a lot of people in the business that have been around since, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Um, and some have come straight from university and stayed. Mm. Um, and what has made them stay? Um, uh, what, ha what, has, what has kept them around? I, I, I think it's been a combination of the, the evolving business. So we started as a small oil and gas-based Scottish-owned business called uh, Nortronics back in, in, in the early 80s. Um, went through a whole iterations of, of international ownership to where we are now. But, yeah, people have stayed around. Mm. Um, I think it's been a combination of that, you know, trying to maintain that small business um, focus, which has been quite difficult to do as we've yeah. got bigger and our masters sit 14,000 kilometres away in the US. Um, what has made them stay? I think it's a combination of, yeah, the, the business, the technology, the customer. Um, and probably believing in what they do, mm. believing in what they they prepare, and and seeing the the fruits of their labour out there, on on the water or or, yeah. or, or, or in action. I think um, that's been what why people have stuck around. I think, um, and of course, a lot of people live locally. Yeah, that um, and that was uh, as I said at the awards night, something that has been important to us to stay in Fremantle because that's been the essence of of the business. Um, we've we've not moved down to, to where a lot of other defence companies now um, are and it allows our people to ride their bikes in and put their bike downstairs and walk upstairs, you know. Mm -hmm. like we don't, you don't have that if you're down, um, down, the somewhere. down somewhere else in, in, in an industrial strip. Yeah. Absolutely. Chris, building a small business the way you have over, so 2014, so we're, you know, getting close to sort of eight, nine years. Heart enduring on yourself personally, um, have you kept a loyalty within, do you have much turnover in your staff and how much energy do you have to invest every day to keeping that, I guess that focus and that level of um, asking yourself the question why constantly and constantly evolving? We are very lucky, so I'm very lucky. Um, we don't have a high staff turnover, which is quite unusual for mm. hospitality or mm. food manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's quite rare in our industry for someone to stay with you for more than a year. As Jay mentioned, it's something that people do when they're in uni or it's a transitory, temporary um, job. But we, ha I have employees that are still, like, it's their fifth year, fourth year. So something makes them happy. Mm. Something wants to, something makes them stay stick around. What I found, uh, I think... COVID 
the businesses that are still around after COVID, I think they they live their values. I think any crisis situation is testing on a leader, on a manager, mm. and on a business. And if you don't live your values, you you I think customers just see right through that. And we cho we it wasn't a choice. <laughs> yeah. We continue to live our values and all of the decisions. We were obviously affected. Everyone mm. was affected in the last two and a half years. And all of the decisions that we've made in the last two and a half years, they were based on the same why. Why are we doing this? We're doing this to help people. We're doing this to provide premium products. And that we lived our values and all of our communications internally, externally with our customers, they reflected those values. Every second, third thing that went out publicly was about how we continue to employ, how we make decisions during COVID. We didn't let anyone go, although we didn't have <laughs> work for everyone, that's yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think that's that's what it's it's the benefits that we're reaping today. Everyone is still with us. Majority of our customers who are still in business and I'm talking cafes and venues mm. and restaurants, they still buy from us. So there's that loyalty internal and external for which I'm really, really grateful. Mm. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And Jay, you've worked with your family now, which is an intriguing question I have to ask you for considerable part of your own career. How do you manage that dynamic from an endurance point of view and don't implode either from a family domestic perspective or a business perspective? Um, I think we are a bit crazy in that way that we'll work all day together, have arguments at work or, you know, candid discussions and then should we all go out to dinner? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm very lucky in that regard that, you know, dad and I bought the business. Cass, my mum's always worked in it as that sort of creative, um, artistic flair to it. Mm. My brother was one of those people that studying business at uni and worked part-time in the business and then got the bug of liquor. And, <clears throat> has, and it's been great for me that he, and he's been able to buy into the business as well as an equal partner. So... Mm. Um, it's been great. The communication is actually probably easier. You're on the same level and so many times we've sort of come to the same conclusion in different ways or in, at, but at the same time. So we're very lucky like that. It's the challenging part is probably for employees and especially the full-time employees to not feel on the outside of the family or to be isolated. So to really becoming part of, of the Beeson family. So we very much make sure they feel that culture and that's something... Um, that we really strive to do. So to bring them into the family, not just into the business is, is the challenge. It's yeah. really good advice. I'm, I'm conscious we're having a lovely chat. I just wondered whether anyone in the room had any comments that there's anything online that anyone would like to ask. Did you have any comments? Uh, yeah, of course, Carla. I'll just grab you the mic just so that we can hear you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Uh, very interesting uh, conversation, uh, the three speakers. Very good. I have a question. I was actually looking here, Chris Kitchen on the website. <laughs> Purse tastiest vegan friendly gluten free desserts. So that's that's what you do, desserts. Um, yeah. So um, I'm I'm wondering if you have heard of the FODMAP diet. That's for people who suffer from functional dyspepsia and uh, IBS and all sorts of things. Are you also in this space and, and if you know anything about it? <laughs> I think Chris lives in this space, don't you, Chris? You, you saved us all when FODMAP came in. I do. <laughs> I live in the dietary requirements <laughs> space, so I think... I <laughs> 
there's so many questions that have come across my desk in the last um, 10 years or so with regards to so many dietary requirements that I wasn't aware of. Um, I am very aware of um, FODMAP. A few of our products comply with that um, with those dietary requirements, because there's only specific types of ingredients and sweeteners that are um, allowed, is it not upsetting? So yes, a few of our products do are suitable, not everything. But you certainly, um, you know, I think one of the things I noticed, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of product development, you really fitted and came in at a time because when, you know, it was almost no one was even thinking dietary requirements and everything was in cafes, all looked the same, tasted the same. You really hit the ground and found that niche in the market that seems to have just imploded over the last sort of eight years or so. Is that something that you intended to do? Or again, was that just incremental and the world kind of moved at the same pace as your business? It was definitely intended. Um, we do invest in R&D significantly every year. Mm. So for me, our motto is creating life-changing treats. So it's not just desserts and treats that catered to dietary requirements. I want people to not feel like they're missing out. So if someone's gonna have a baked sponge from us, which is gluten-free and dairy-free and egg-free and all of the freedoms that people are looking for, I don't want them to have something that's really, oh, that's just what it is. It's, it might be dense or heavy. It's not really like a trip. I want them to have a nice, light, fluffy piece of dessert. So we do invest in R&D a lot to see, to, to, to create that. Mm. So the, la the last thing that we've um, created last month, we finalized last month, is a traditional sponge jam roll, which the test was literally, how quickly does it bounce back? Oh, wow. <laughs> so it's not free, it's gluten-free, egg and dairy and all of the freedoms. And it bounces back in a couple of seconds. So we, d we, I was really that your Kool Aid moment? Yeah, yeah. I go, Ooh, you've done it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I do agree with that so much. I, we're celebrating this, um, this Saturday, we're celebrating our win. We're taking everyone to dinner. And I told them, no excuses. I know you, some of you have exams and everything, but you're going to rock up, eat, go study. <laughs> <But> everyone's <laughs> coming. We're celebrating this milestone because I think it's just so important mm. and I'm terrible at it as well. Mm. I do not take the time. To, it's always, okay, but what next? But what next? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely true. I think I had an old boss when I was at Woodside that said that to me many moons ago and I just hadn't realised how many wins you just gloss over. We all focus on what isn't going right, how hard life can be. All of the negatives are so easy to get entrenched in that sometimes these amazing things happen to us and they're a blip and then we go, oh, I didn't even notice that that actually happened. So it's lovely to hear that story. Um, one of the things about endurance that has happened in our recent times has obviously been a huge impact on supply chain um, and I imagine for produce, oh, for all of your businesses. Can you talk us through how you've managed some of those challenges? <laughs> it hasn't been easy. There were a few months, especially last year and beginning of this year with the floods and everything where we, we couldn't even get peanuts and mm. peanuts are... Peanuts and cashews are literally our bread and butter, which is a funny thing to say for a gluten-free company, but <laughs> <laughs> gluten and dairy-free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are gluten and dairy-free butter. <laughs> but yeah. there's just things, I think everyone's in the same boat and our customers understood, I'm really sorry, this is still three weeks out of stock. 
oh, I can offer you this. Yeah. And we, you just work with what you have. It's, it's a global issue, it's a global situation. Everyone's in the same boat. There has been a lot of understanding from mm. our customers. Mm. And we just pivoted really quickly. Well, what else can we make? Well, there's this tahini that kind of tastes a little bit like peanuts. Let's just make this temporary product. You, you just pivot. As a small business, you can pivot really quickly. Yeah, true. Yeah. Absolutely. Jay, for you, I mean, you've got a very strong focus on local. And I imagine that was really helpful during some of the supply chain issues. But did it impact on Oldbridge at all? Yeah, I suppose... The sh that the it's the wholesaler the actual wineries couldn't get bottles caps yeah. and then shipping even fuel excise coming up from my river or from the Great Southern so for us it wasn't so much product that was still coming to it was still in the market it was the cost that it all increased um, and passing that on and how to respectfully do that holding on as long as you could watching GP drop and you know you talk about you, if you need to make money to be able to employ people is so mm. important as well so. Uh, that was the biggest challenge for us. And I found for a few months, and especially this year with with inflation, you know, um, with so many different global factors uh, happening, we're sitting in the computers going, what is going on? Like we had whiskies go from $120 to $140 to $160 to $185. And we have the same or less margin on it. Mm -hmm. And people are just going, what, what's going on? So that's been the biggest impact for us is that perception that we're being gougy, where I think most of the businesses have got smaller margins but higher price points. Absolutely, so. absolutely. Dean, has I mean, internationally based, you've had, you get people all around the world. I imagine that was just a massive challenge during COVID. But in terms of getting supply and actually being able to deliver to your customers' needs, has that been an issue for you? And, and it, from a contract point of view, has that impacted on how you've negotiated that? Yeah, absolutely. I guess, you know, the ingredients to our, our cake as it is is, you know, integrated circuits um so we're in the same same competitive space as you know, your samsungs and your apples and your subarus for their chips in their cars so yeah we've mm -hmm. we've promised um the delivery of, of of certain products and then suddenly the supply chain's fallen down so i i guess that's been a real challenge for us i think the way our company's addressed it is to really bring the customer in the room, have the conversation, actually let them talk to our suppliers, mm. um, open up that, that communication. This is the problem they're having or, you know, a simple uh, one person who knows how to put this component together or this widget together in the in the back blocks of somewhere in the US and, and then uh, that, that person gets sick with COVID and the, and the, and the it stops. Mm. So uh, vulnerability in our supply chain has been certainly something that, we've had to, to deal with and work on, but I think it's bringing the customer in along for the conversation. And they've, they've been fantastic in, in that regard. This, these are the challenges we're having, just like Apple and Samsung having the challenges, yeah. we're having the same challenges. So, yeah. and taking them on that journey and letting them speak to our, our, our suppliers on their factory floor about what challenges they're having has been, has been, been a, a, something that's worked for us. Mm. Um, it certainly has been easy. Um, and, and, you know, as the lawyer in the business, I'm always, okay, you know, is this within our reasonable control or is it not within our reasonable control has always been a question. But um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's why I thought, you know, from a contract's point of view, you've really had to oversee a lot of that. Where is this out of our control and something we can actually account for or where are we responsible for actually being able to deliver this? I imagine there's been a few tense moments. Yeah, and it's been, been conversations in in. in getting into contract about specifically talking about COVID-19 and pandemics mm. and epidemics and, and what that means. Uh, I think it's what we can contemplate 
um, you know, there's, and there's some things we haven't been able to contemplate, yeah. like those global and even in freight um, where the, the, the planes stop flying yeah. um, and freight will stop. You know, what can we contemplate? It's been, it's been difficult, certainly and difficult. And understanding all that, that's one thing that's really struck mm. me at the Chamber. You know, we often at the front desk of a lot of our exporters that are having challenges just getting product to market as opposed to bringing product in and just how quickly we all hadn't quite realised that when commercial airlines stopped, so did all the, yeah. the, the space that brought all of the stuff to us. And so. the, the price went through, you know, yeah. as Jay said, the price yeah. goes and. Did we really contemplate? We probably didn't contemplate that as an effect yeah. when you look back to you know uh, early 2020 when you were negotiating. Well, I don't some think anyone did because I think in the first week of or two of COVID, they were the conversations we were having with the Minister for Trade based in Brisbane and DFAT, just going, guys, we actually have to keep putting planes on somehow. Mm. We've got to get product to market. So, and maybe coming back to the start of this conversation, even though you are all in such incredibly different businesses that endurance and that ability to make decisions on a consistent and regular basis to keep your businesses functioning is really in many ways I think what the business awards weirdly recognise without really understanding I think that that's what we were recognising is that it isn't easy to keep that momentum and to keep building and growing in a market that's constantly changing. I'm conscious we could keep talking on this all day but um, if we run down the panel maybe and just if you had to, thinking back over the last few years and, and then to the awards and item getting the, um, getting the award, what piece of advice or what, um, I guess, key um, aspect would you feel you would like to, to share with someone else um, that's either starting a business or growing a, an international business? And given you've got the mic, I might start with you, Dean. In addition uh, to celebrating the wins, which I do think is absolutely crucial, Yep. Is there anything else that in looking back over the last few years you maybe wish you'd known already or that has been a particularly big learning that you'd share with others? Learn, it's, that's a hard question. It's probably the hardest question in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think definitely for me, yeah, communication um, internally, externally is, is crucially important. I think you know, sharing, sharing your pain, mm. um, um, being open, not, not only personally, but so also. So we're going to see you crying on an Instagram feed Absolutely, soon, absolutely. Um, you know, <laughs> that vulnerability <laughs> I talk about. Um, yeah, because, I, I mean, yeah, just as people are having their own challenges, I think every business has had their own challenges. And, and mm. being open to those um, with your customer and with your people is, is important. Yeah. So. And as you say, communication, particularly when things are changing, isn't easy. It actually requires focus to go. What information do people need, and who? Yeah, work. Yeah, and who yeah. has it, and all of those things. Yeah. yeah. Jay, anything you'd like to add to that? Um, <clears throat> well, I think we've covered a lot of that. That communication, mm. that stuff. I suppose that ability to pivot, Chris, you mentioned, was been the huge, the biggest challenge of the last two and a half years. So. Um, when one door closes, one another one does open up. So you have to have to be able to sort of keep your eyes open. And so those comments that you sent through that you know from a lot of the votes for the People's Choice, a lot of that for us was about our online tastings and our, what we were able to do when one door closed, because that was a big part of what we did. Yeah. So <clears throat> keeping uh, your eyes open for opportunities. Um, so we could keep open, keep the doors open, you know. And mm. it was also we saw a lot of good companies treat their staff badly in in the liquor industry. You know, hospitality when they closed, didn't pay them, didn't do the right thing, and a lot of the wineries as well. And then that loyalty 
came, they lost a lot of that loyalty and the businesses that did the right thing and actually set out went, we're going to spend this money, lose this amount of money to try to keep the team happy was a big, big thing Absolutely. for us. Absolutely. And it's interesting, um, Jay mentioned, so with all of the People's Choice Awards, because we have the most ridiculous number of attached and loyal customers that vote in the People's Choice Awards. It still blows my mind that we got, you know, so many thousands of consumers loyal and attached to businesses. And we share those comments with the business because, as Jay said, they're an amazing piece of market research in a way of what people are really loyal to. And you're right, Jay, in that so many of the comments were during a difficult time, we still saw you, we know you, we knew you were trying to make an effort to keep the community together, to keep your business together. And I think the online stuff that you guys did through that, I mean, we had some fantastic nights sitting around watching Instagram and listening to Jay and the team, you know, they deliver the, the liquor in a little bundle and we'd all get to try it and have a play together. There was some, you know, and it created bonds within our own families as part of that. So yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. And Chris, we'll started with you, we'll finish with you. Any parting words of advice for our listeners today? To anyone who's thinking of starting a business because it's easy and flexible. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and I, I would go back to what I said at the very beginning. Just know why. Why do you want to start a business? Why do you want to grow a business? Why do you feel like you need more? Do you need more finances or do you like the why you need to thoroughly understand your why so good. and act on that because a lot of businesses like if people are just starting a business what is it 99 percent fail in the first three years or thereabouts so to save time just know why you're doing it and authenticity, I, I'll go back to everything that was said here mm. today, in authenticity in how you deliver your product or service and how you communicate with your employees, vulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> um, how you communicate with your customers, because I think we live in such times where you just can't. You're, you're gonna be sniffed out in a, in, in a hot second if mm. you're not authentic, if you don't live your values, if you say, you, you had a really interesting podcast on, on greenwashing and everything. Yeah. I think people, they just smell through that. Um, yeah, just know your why and just be authentic in everything you do in all of your decisions and all of your dealings with employees and customers. Wonderful, Chris. I'm so grateful to our panel this morning. Some just amazing, not only business advice, but I think sage life advice. And I think often we find ourselves in situations in life too, where we do need to go, why am I here? Like, what am I actually thinking through? And is it being driven by ego? Is it being driven by money? Is it being driven by a sense of trying to make a difference? Because that does fuel the decisions that we make and understanding how and why we make those decisions is so crucial to keeping and maintaining businesses, but also keeping our own personal drive up and going. Because as Chris says, I think I take my hats off to, to each one of you and to all of our winners and people that are in business. It is hard and there's a lot of people on the outside that will look inside a business and go, oh, they're just making it, you know, how come they're making it and I'm not? It's because people are getting up every morning and doing the hard yards and you are all testament to that. So thank you so much for joining us. Really, really grateful. And Chris, thank you. I know the garbage truck played some absolute havoc there for most of our podcast, but um, I know you'll still make us sound amazing. So thank you very much for that. And to everyone listening online, to our team, thank you for being here and to Carla for popping down from the port. Thank you as well. We'll speak soon. 